The internet in the way most of us have used it started with Web 1.0, static websites that posted information for us to read. Then in the 21st century, we were introduced to Web 2.0, where we all became digitally social and interacted with each other, building connections with others around the world through social media platforms. In 2014, we were introduced to the term Web 3.0, and many believe this is the next iteration of the internet that, just like social media platforms, will transform the way we use the internet. But what does this mean? for professional entrepreneurs and their firms. To be honest, professionals are just starting to use Web 2.0 en masse, so is Web 3 just another step in the evolution of connected technology that professionals will need to catch up on? Welcome to This Professional Life, a podcast by Convos Media about trending topics related to all things in the professional services world, from lawyers to accountants and other business-to-business service providers. Hey everyone, Chris here, and welcome to another This Professional Life podcast. In this episode, I wanted to discuss what Web 3.0 is and what it means for users in general, and then take a look at how Web 3.0 can apply to professional entrepreneurs such as lawyers and accountants. Considering many professionals have taken such a long time to get on the Web 2.0 bandwagon, will they fall behind again with Web 3.0. I do believe that professional services firms will need to fully understand Web 3.0 as their clients will be using it and the professionals will need to help their clients navigate the financial and legal implications of the technology. More later on this in the podcast. Now full disclaimer here, I'm not a programmer or blockchain professional, so my approach is to try and simplify this as much as possible. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Web 3 follows from Web 2, which saw the internet experience shift from just static viewing of websites to interactive social media platforms where users could communicate and interact with each other. The shift also saw the massive growth of big tech companies, as well as the massive hoarding of user data into a centralized realm owned by these big tech companies. Now the concept behind Web3, therefore, is to decentralize the ownership of all this data, be it your personal information or original content you've created and shared. Information and data would be centralized back to the creator and the individual, and the technology behind it would verify and prove that this specific creator and individual actually owns that data. Now, in theory, Web3 gives users more control over the data, and those who support it say that users can interact with the web in a safer and less decentralized way. Web3 technologies don't use centralized servers or middlemen to collect the information you put in and send out to other people. Instead, Web3 users would use decentralized networks and protocols like blockchain to make peer-to-peer or direct person-to-person interactions and transactions possible. Many would argue that this makes online interactions more open, safe, and trustworthy because there isn't a central company or platform acting as the main coordinator and owner of the data. In addition, utilizing blockchain technology would allow for more transparent record keeping. So here's one way to look at it. Imagine that you're interested in purchasing a used car from a private seller. In this scenario, the blockchain can be thought of as a decentralized and distributed ledger that records and verifies the ownership and history of the car. When the car is first manufactured, the manufacturer records the relevant information about the car, such as make, model, year, and VIN number on the blockchain. This information is stored on the block, which is then secured using encryption techniques such as hashing. As the car is sold and resold over time, the ownership of the car is recorded on the blockchain. Each time the car changes hands, a new block is added to the blockchain 
contain containing information about the transaction and the new owner of the car. When you want to buy the car, you can check the blockchain to see who owns it and what its history is like, as well as any other relevant information such as maintenance records or accidents. This helps you make an informed decision about whether to purchase the car as you can see the complete history of the car and verify the authenticity of the information. Now there are obviously services such as Carfax that keep track of all this right now, but the data is owned by Carfax and housed on its central server. We all assume Carfax has a duty or a reason to make sure that the information is correct. With blockchain, however, all this data is decentralized and no one organization owns the data about this vehicle. The strength of this is because it's a public ledger and everyone has access to it. It would require some serious collusion and hacking amongst all the parties, including the vehicle manufacturer, to falsify the information housed on the blockchain. Now, of course, blockchain is just one part of the equation for Web3. Other technologies and protocols associated with Web3 include things like cryptocurrencies, which we are all quite familiar with now, especially with the recent blowups in the market. Cryptocurrencies are the digital assets that use the blockchain technology and cryptography to enable secure and decentralized financial transactions. Value is placed on the cryptocurrencies, much like value is on physical currencies. Another thing is smart contracts. These are self-executing contracts with the term Terms of the agreement between the buyer and seller being directly written into the lines of code into the smart contract. They utilize blockchain to record not only details of the transaction, but the transactions themselves. Details can be accessed by others to verify the contract terms. Another element is decentralized applications, or as they term it, dApps in Web 3.0. These are applications that are built on decentralized networks and protocols rather than on centralized servers. These applications currently help facilitate decentralized communication and transactions. So let's talk about some current use cases for Web 3.0. We just talked about the technologies behind it, but for the layperson, what are some examples of Web 3.0 in use? Search is what really took internet browsing into the current ecosystem. There are several Web 3.0 search engines that are designed to allow users to search and access decentralized content on the web. These search engines index and look for web content using decentralized protocols like the Interplanetary File System, or IPFS for short. IPFS is a decentralized file storage system that lets users store and share files in a way that doesn't involve a central server. Its goal is to replace the traditional centralized model of file storage and distribution with a more efficient and secure decentralized model. How IPFS works is that first, users upload content such as documents, images, and videos to the IPFS network. The content is then divided into smaller chunks and hashed, which creates a unique identifier for the content. The IPFS network is made up of nodes, which are computers or servers that store and transmit content. When the content is uploaded to the IPFS network, it is spread across the network and stored on multiple nodes. The structure allows for increased resilience and availability of the content if any one node ends up running into issues. When users want to access content on the IPFS network, they can use an app to request the content, which is indexed according to its unique identifier. The IPFS network will then get the content from the nodes where it is stored and send it back to the user. Another current use case are smart contracts. A smart contract is a self-executing contract with a term of the agreement between the buyer and seller directly written into the lines of the code. Smart contracts can be used to automate and speed up legal agreements and processes like contracts for the sale of goods and services. 
So here's how smart contracts work. The first step in creating a smart contract is to define the terms and conditions of the overall transaction. This means saying who is involved, what goods or services are being traded, and other important information. Next, the contract terms and conditions must be translated into code. Usually, this means writing the code that will run the contract in a programming language like Solidity or Viper, two of the more common smart contracting programming languages. After the code for the contract has been written, it is tested to make sure it works. After the code for the contract has been tested, it can be put on a blockchain network like Ethereum where it will be stored and run. Once the contract is in place, the people who are part of the agreement can interact with it. This could mean setting off certain actions or events in the contract like releasing payment or changing who owns something. One of the big questions that come up with regards to smart contracts is the security of the information. The security of the information on a smart contract depends on a number of things, such as how the contract is designed and put into action, what kind of security measures are in place on the blockchain network, where the contract is put into action, and what the parties of the contract do. The terms and conditions of the smart contract and the code that runs it are usually visible to the public on the blockchain network where the contract is deployed. This is because blockchains are designed to be transparent and open, which means that the information on the blockchain, including smart contracts, is publicly accessible. But it's important to remember that the information on smart contracts can be coded or encrypted. In those cases, the information would need to be decoded by an app to view. For example, you may be able to set up the contract contract so that only certain parties or users are able to interact with it or access certain parts of the information. Next on the list are what we call NFTs or non-fungible tokens. NFTs are another use case that has taken Web3 by storm in the last year and is more of a current use case for artists or digital IP owners. NFTs represent ownership of unique digital assets such as art, collectibles, or in-game items. Think of Wayne Gretzky's rookie card or any other popular sports figure's rookie card. They're super rare, and collectors often bid significant dollar amounts for them at auction. Now, these cards have third-party verification, certifying that they are legitimate and original copies. Now, one of the key benefits for NFTs is that they provide a way to prove ownership and authenticity of digital assets. Because NFTs are stored on the blockchain, they are transparent, immutable, and resistant to tampering or counterfeiting. Now, are there use cases for professionals and their firms? Well, Web3 isn't quite the same as Web2 when we take a look at how professionals use the platforms. Web2 is about social interaction and creating content that professionals can share with their clients and the marketplace in general. Web3 in its current form is more about the underlying technology to manage and handle the data that is shared between parties. That being said, there are some considerations for professional service firms when looking at Web3. Despite the ability to encrypt data on the blockchain, some argue that it is generally not recommended to store sensitive data, such as personal identification information or financial data on any decentralized file storage system. Even though decentralized file storage systems have security features like content hashing and encryption, the point of the blockchain is to make the information open and easy to access so that people can see the whole history of transactions that have been done on the blockchain. Since professional firms deal with a lot of sensitive client data, it is not ideal for this information to be widely available, even if it is encrypted. Most professional firms would more likely invest in private cloud storage for the data than rely on public blockchain network. That being said, there are some use cases
cases for blockchain technology for professional firms in the legal and accounting industry. For example, the Law Society may want to set up a private blockchain network and only invite registered law firms and their lawyers to be participants in the blockchain. This network could be used to share information and documents about sensitive client files or cases. Having been in the legal industry, I know firms can be very wary about storing sensitive client data in any of the cloud storage systems because those systems are owned by one big tech company. But yet, they still need an easy way to share data and refer back to the history of the data when required. A private blockchain that is only accessible by registered law firms or accounting firms could be one way to do this. The result of this would be that no one firm would run the network that houses the data and all parties, which are the firms, have a vested interest in maintaining the system's integrity, which is also transparent and verifiable by any member of the network because of the blockchain technology. At the end of the day, it is probably safe to say that professional services firms should consider exploring and adopting Web3 technologies as part of their strategic planning and operations. Web3 represents a significant shift in the way that the internet and digital services are structured and operated. Technologies such as the blockchain, decentralized applications, and non-fungible tokens are transforming a wide range of industries and business models as we speak. As this happens, there are many issues, both legally and financially, that professionals will need to contend with for both themselves and their clients. For example, when sensitive data is stored on decentralized file storage systems, it may be harder to follow rules and laws about data privacy and security like the GDPR in the EU or PEPIDA here in Canada. Many of these privacy laws require user data to be deleted if the user requests it. This becomes a bit of a conundrum as data on the blockchain cannot be deleted as it would go against the whole concept of decentralization and transparency. This and many other issues like tax structuring of NFTs will arise over the next few years and professionals will need to be quick to address them. Firms and professionals will also need to adapt to the decentralized nature of blockchain in order to use it effectively. Rather than working in silos, this may involve partnering with other competing firms to establish a working consortium to drive the collective goals of establishing a blockchain network for their own members. Just like Web2, professional service firms will need to be open to hiring and working with outside developers, technology providers, strategic planners, and marketing experts who have expertise in Web3. By taking Web3 seriously and exploring the opportunities it presents, professional services firms can position themselves and their clients for success in the digital future. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to hit that like button and make sure to subscribe so you're notified whenever we come out with new episodes. For professionals looking to leverage digital content to elevate their client experience and grow their practice, please reach out to us. I would love to chat and see how we can work together. So that's it for this episode. Take care. We'll catch you in the next one.